Welcome to Making Conversations, a podcast from makers Gemma Millen and Robin Galway. Today we are making conversations with Anna Osboylan and makers featured in the pinned exhibition from ACJ SNL. Welcome to this special collaboration series with ACJ SNI. Today we are with Anna Rose Boylan, who you may remember we spoke with in series two of our podcast last year. And tell us about ACJ SNI. Hi girls, and thanks so much for inviting me to introduce us. So where do we start? ACJ SNI stands for the Association of Contemporary Jewellers and Silversmiths in Northern Ireland. It's a regional group of the larger Association of Contemporary Jewellery in the UK based, but it's also international. It has a worldwide membership and it's been on the go for quite some time. Their remit is to actively engage with the community and bring jewellery into the conversation within their own regions as well. And I think, you know, I've been involved off and on since it began actively and more passively, let's say. Here in our region, we actually didn't begin as part of ACJ. We began as a local group of frustrated jewellers, dare I say it. And where our frustration grew was from our lack of visibility here. We just were so busy doing the jobs we were all doing, whether it was in education or making, that we didn't have time to get together and have conversations. I think in 2014, there were a couple of things that happened that 2014 is about it. No, 17, four years ago, we had a series of events that occurred. and It's almost like the stars aligned where we all had the same level of frustration with this lack of visibility and being misrepresented and the wrong narrative. And we thought, do you know what? Let's just get together and we from the ground up start saying what we would like to happen. And I think that was really when we started to try and think about a title. We didn't know what to call ourselves. So we sat in the Mac, which was our weekly hub. And we had a cup of coffee and we all bandied about titles and we came up with We Are. And we couldn't think of what the next bit should be. But we decided that would be a good working title. Our founder members, they were really a student, recent graduate. And at the time that was Robin Egla. Uh, Stuart Cairns as a maker and Garvin trainer and Stuart and Garvin had been doing visiting lecturer jobs within the university for quite some time so they had a one foot in one foot out. At the time I would have been more on the teaching side through the university but had been starting to make again a lot more actively because my mother responsibilities had slightly decreased and so the conversations began and really we did have the backing of the Goldsmith Centre, because I had a contact there where I was having similar conversations about what could we do to promote? And actually, they they were brilliant at throwing lifelines just in terms of, yes, this is happening somewhere else and maybe we could get together and maybe we could do. and maybe. So we had lots of potential conversations, I think might be a good way to describe it. And what happened over that it was really quite a long period of gestation dare i say it maybe that three four years of gestation and trying to build up confidence testing the water Uh, and we did test the water as a group through leonardo's drawings and the ulster museum collaboration we were very very lucky to work with colleen waters and she had that exhibition coming over from the royal collection In my view, it was like the perfect exhibition because Leonardo was a bit of a polymath, but he was also a maker. 
he was interested in materials, he was interested in drawing, he was interested in all the things we are, and using his drawings as a way to link making with drawing and museums was a fantastic way to go about starting that collaboration. And through Colleen and then Kim Mawinney, we started to gain those links, which then grew into Craft NI's reformulation and Catherine McDonald and Jan Irwin. They all helped steer us and give us the confidence to bring that voice out and just crystallise that as a group and say, right, okay, we need to make this more formal. So we tested the water, we did our schools project. That went well. I think we all got a bit of a terrified kick out of it, but we did it. And we realised that actually, you know, there was more we could achieve by pulling together and just being that voice. We weren't always sure what we were doing. And maybe, you know, Robin, you could back me up and saying it was sometimes not quite the blind, but the not visually perfect, yeah. <laughs> leading the not visually perfect. <laughs> but each of us had strengths the other didn't have. And we pulled together and we teamworked it. So we decided we'd be brave and put forward an exhibition. And I think lockdown really helped us crystallise that. We just thought, well, look, there isn't a better time. Let's just do it. Let's go to the wider community of jewellers and see what the response is. And if we do it through that bigger national body of ACJ, whom I know have regional groups, would love a regional group that's active, then maybe we could change this narrative properly. And so I guess that was the basis. Pinned as a title was a democratic title. We did have our big meeting. Everybody came along. I'm not sure how, you know, it's blind faith on everybody's behalf because there were lots of anxieties about how you make money or how you don't make money. To be honest, everybody wants to make money, whether you're on the artist side or the maker commercial side. It's still about reaching an audience to sell your work. But it's it's a bit more than that. It's also sen- selling an ideology of having value in work. And we're hoping that this is the start of reframing what makers are within their community, uh, what values they can bring to their community, because it does have cultural and economic potential, but only when the community understands what we're actually doing. And so we feel that if we bring our conversation to the community, that it stands a good chance of being understood on that level where it's more direct and it's not mediated quite so much or sanitized quite so much by middle bodies. And the other side of it is that we do feel that it's missing in schools. And that's been a very slow drip, interestingly, I think a lot of kids that are just out and recently graduating are feeling the same. There's nowhere for them to learn how to make or use their hands. That conversation is coming up as a wider narrative within the craft field as well. There's the craft of surgery, which took place as a podcast recently through Radio 4. And, you know, it is it's a conversation which reaches well beyond art. And the Leonardo thing for me was a really fantastic way to say how have we divided things up so badly to make it a place where artists can't be designers, designers can't be artists, surgeons can't be craftspeople? I mean, this is silly. We all do all these things, but we've divided it up into neat little things that fit into pigeonholes. And this is not constructive moving forward. And maybe it's a good time to reframe that. So pinned is in part 
a way to say as jewelers, yes, there are economic and product based makers, but also there are artist makers. We all exist and there should be space for everybody here to have that voice. These voices shouldn't just belong on the continent or in Spain, where there's a really active jewellery community or Finland or, you know, this should also be available to us here in Northern Ireland and Ireland as a greater whole, because this is not just confined, as we know, through Cloda. This is not just confined to Northern Ireland. So we're excited in one regard and terrified in another because it is sticking your head above a parapet. But maybe there's no better time to do it. That's it. What an amazing origin story. It all just seems to be the right place, the right time, the right people, the right energies. That's That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Gemma, that is maybe a good way to sum it up. Things don't always happen when you think they should happen. It takes a series of things to fall into place for the timing to be right. So maybe that's a good thing to say to youngsters. Don't always be anxious about not hitting targets that you think you should set because maybe it's just not the right time but don't give up keep plugging keep trucking uh, because that time will come somewhere down the line it makes more sense to be now at my age I heard that when I was younger especially after graduation this isn't a race this is a journey and it never really got absorbed and it's not until you start that journey or you're along that journey a little bit that you realize actually time is your friend in this you need that time to develop so these series of episodes that we're introducing forms part of an exhibition project which you explained called pinned and although maybe pretty obvious could you tell us what the exhibition is it's the first marker to bring all of the makers that want to maybe step outside of their normal production run and bring them out into sort of more, yeah, let's refresh, let's try and see if you can make something that is a little bit more exceptional or feeds your creative spirit a bit more because there isn't enough time in your life to do that, but also to work alongside people that maybe are more experimental who never get seen in public either, who really have... You know, there always have to be the people at the front, maybe, if you like, who fire out work there to challenge both the public and other makers and the marketplace to say, right, stop or look at what we're doing or I'm not sure that conversations where, you know, they just have want to have a different conversation. And so to bring the two sides together and not differentiate is quite a unique thing to do. Often titles can be quite restrictive or um, exclusive and we didn't want that so pinned was an ambiguous title on purpose and it allowed people that were maybe more comfortable within the normal remit to still make something a little challenging but equally it allowed people who are quite challenging to still stick within that remit so it was broad and necessarily so and I hope that the narrations and the the visuals that support it do explain that quite well. But it also allows people that normally make shovels like Sharon or or sculptural pieces like Stuart to also make work that fell into that remit of sometimes we quite like to do work that isn't our normal. It's important to stay fresh as creatives. You get dead, you get bored if you don't do that. And I think everybody's been quite brave in pulling together 
And it is exciting to see it. And I think, you know, probably the curator is because I did slightly step aside on purpose to let them curate the show. It was brave of them to bring the clothing back into it and to let the makers decide, okay, this is what I would like it seen on because that was quite diverse. <laughs> and and the little video clip uh, will show that as well. So I know that you'll probably put that link to the video in the podcast details, uh, but it's yeah. worth having a look because you will see, you know, ordinary clothing and extraordinary clothing or provocative things that maybe are quite quiet, but they have a subtext there. So it works on a range of levels and it's the first of many. So we're looking forward to seeing who else will we can collaborate with in the future or exhibit with. I absolutely love them being on clothes. It just changes the narrative entirely. It takes it into something that is so much more approachable. So yeah, well done. That's fantastic. I've seen the exhibition and it is gorgeous. Thank you so much, Anne. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. We will now hear from makers of the exhibition about their work featured in Pint. The featured clips in this episode include Abby Dixon, Anne Earls Boylan, Cameron and Breen, Celine Trainer, Claire Mooney and Clodagh Malloy. I'm Abby Dixon, a jewellery artist based in Belfast. My brooch is titled Dendritic Growth. In metals, a dendrite is a multi-branching tree-like structure of crystals growing as molten metal solidifies. These can also occur when electroforming metals. The agate is characterised by its inclusions of branch-like crystal dendrites, which are made up of manganese and iron oxides within the stone. Dendritic crystal growth is also the process by which snowflakes and frost patterns form. The brooch is made in sterling silver and set with a large dendritic agate. My inspiration came from the stone itself. I purchased it a while ago with no definite plan for how I would use it. I have always been fascinated by how things grow and the growth patterns within this stone look like tiny trees. Following the dendritic theme, I decided to grow some copper by electroforming. I made some basic shapes from foliage and wired them up in my electroplating tank. Electricity is passed through a copper sulphate solution and metal is deposited on the plant material. This takes a few days and by altering the current, some interesting textures can be created as the copper grows. These pieces were assembled and cast in silver to make the brooch. I oxidised the silver to complement the colours in the stone and to highlight the textures. For me, this exhibition was an opportunity to experiment and to make a one-off piece just for fun. The brooch has a single pin and C-catch attachment. My name is Anne Earls Boylan. I'm a contemporary jewellery artist and educator based outside of Belfast in Northern Ireland. I use the domestic environment as my resource for both inspiration and as my source for tooling. My pieces tend to be conjured out of imprints that are taken from mostly kitchen or bathroom items. It is a conscious decision, perhaps a challenge to myself, a way to avoid complicated production methods and so reduce the need for what I call indulgent machinery and to minimise the use of gas, power and electricity in the making processes that I might otherwise use. Those borrowed or repurposed tools which I do use come from empty packaging, things that would otherwise be destined for the bin or the recycling centre. 
They are, however, united in their original purpose, and that would have been to make things that look perfect, that beautify things, that are really considered from the realm of the luxurious. In lavishing my attention on a problematic material, plastic and polyurethane, and uncomplicated manufacturing processes, I am deliberately questioning where the problem really lies. And I'm questioning, is it with us or is it actually with the material? I also really do want to question where the value should lie. The value maybe for me should lie in the work, not so much the material. It is an agent. Do we talk the materials that we use up in order to increase the status of these materials? And sometimes I think maybe that's expected of us, especially as jewellers. And I would really challenge myself a lot of the time to question at some point, could we learn to understand the value of work, the value of effort and the rigour behind what we call creativity? And somehow along this questioning point, be open to engaging with materials and the world of materials around us in new ways. In the surface beneath the first of the pieces I'm going to discuss, I use formed polyurethane pigment, steel and gold leaf. Imagine if you like, if you were to cup one of your hands and hold in it a smooth surface or form in it light. The front face of this piece is wanting really to nestle in that hand, that cupped hand. When working with materials, I do often consider it's a little similar to being a detective. You've got to be really quite alert. You've got to notice things, very small things sometimes, about behaviour of materials, viscosity, the curate, perhaps what it attracts, what it repels. And as a job, as a maker, your job is to orchestrate an arrangement of the elements that you're seeing or you're noticing and harness those that respond to the sensibilities that you're trying to convey. In this case, it's the contradiction between the soft ripples of creased skin that you peek through a funnel-like frame positioned on the top surface. It's worn so that you can view this interior when you're wearing it. These ripples underneath are at odds with that very smooth, voluptuous exterior, which is smooth and curvaceous. It's quite breast-like and its colour is the palest pink. In reality, the making of the piece is quite different to what you're looking at. The piece was poured and manipulated using half a plastic package, which contained a kitchen product. And the base was formed using a very humble balloon, something I find in the kitchen all the time. Anyone can. The brooch fastening has been cast from the prongs of a three pin plug. And as mentioned, the steel dental wire is used as the pinning mechanism. The surface beneath is in fact plugged into the clothing or perhaps it's plugged into the self. The second piece that I have made is titled Searching for Content. The materials used are formed polyurethane again, a knitted filament normally used in tidying loose ends and fishing. And I use pearls, both seed pearls and larger white pearls, gray and white. I use pigment again and I use steel. The piece itself is intended to be worn on the right hand side of the body worn in the recess between the shoulder and the collarbone, searching for content, perches on the body. It's held by its lopsided steel pin. This pin is vertical and it gives it that slight freedom to move a little, almost like it is searching for meaning actively and content. This is collected under its clinical white shell and perhaps stored within its body, which is a pink interior. The green knitted filament 
is coated with white polyurethane to both strengthen it and give it that antennae look. It drips with seed pearls of grey and white into the larger white pearls. These white pearls look breast-like. They weren't originally intended to. They were to represent hope, um, positive conversations. But on reflection, in being breast-like, a breast nurtures. And nurturing is a sign of positivity and hope despite all things. So perhaps this was a subliminal response to the materials. The third piece which I have made for the exhibition, I titled Heard It All Before. It deals with equality issues, really. And I use fine silver and sterling silver in the piece. I use the dental steel again and cast and formed polyurethane and pigments. Heard It All Before is a collection of familiar and less familiar items. And they are a comment on the lived experience of being a woman heading towards the end of her 50s. Along the way, I was sold an age of freedom and equality. And like many, I drank all of this in along that lifespan. Yet somehow I now reflect on the lived reality and think it's constantly at odds with the stories that either I constructed or I was fed. Who knows? The castings or prints are taken from humble pot scrubbers and mouthwash lids. These become props that allude to filters and perhaps tiny megaphones chosen on purpose for their form. These elements or props act as metaphors that silently discuss that search for good intentions and the constant need to filter out the same old tropes that I hear. I ask, have all the hopes gone down the drain? perhaps, using the plug as that metaphor and the ball and chain as both objects for discussing tied to, tethered to, or dog tags that are attached to the person and you can't break away from. In other words, I have heard it all before. I'm a little exasperated hearing it all again. And perhaps I'm asking through making, can actions really speak louder than words? And I am trying to see the funny side but the fuse may well have blown. And perhaps despite everything, all things are still not equal. In summary, small portable jewels do carry power to pack a visual punch. They can change the conversation and they can shift our thinking. And for me, this is the art of jewellery. We are Martin Cameron and Laura Brain, also known as Cameron Brain, and we are goldsmiths based in Randallstown. Our brooches are entitled Carved Relics, They are inspired by early Celtic mark making and stone carvings found in castles, churches and graveyards all over Ireland. Our work is an exploration of ancient techniques and mark making, but in a contemporary context, we create ornate and visually striking pieces of jewellery, but with an ancient and raw aesthetic. Both pins are round in shape, with a removable long silver pin running from one end of the brooch to the other. Each brooch is made from three tiers. The outer tier is made from yellow gold flush set diamonds and coloured gemstones. It is steps to resemble the stonework found on castle ruins. One of these steps has the pin attached and can be pulled out from the brooch and reattached to the garment. When worn, it's disguised as one of the steps in the outer tier of the brooch. The middle tier is sterling silver and is hand engraved with Celtic designs. And the third and final tier of the brooch is the cloth setting, which hold the centre stones. One brooch is set with a concave trillion cut honey quartz. 
in silver claws and the other is a rich deep red cushion cut garnet which is held in strong and imposing claws both brooches are hand engraved with celtic designs on the back as well as the front reminiscent of the tower brooch the overall aesthetic was made to be visually striking and elaborate in both colour and patterns which is very often seen in early gold jewellery Brooch 1 is made from 9 carat yellow gold and sterling silver. There's a honey quartz in the centre and diamonds run round the outside. Brooch 2 is made from 9 carat yellow gold, sterling silver and set with garnets and rubies. We began by looking at Celtic jewellery, in particular the tower brooch. It's highly ornate with decorative engravings and the very distinctive long pin which attaches the brooch to the garment. We felt it was important for us to keep the characteristics of the traditional tower brooch but to develop the design into something more contemporary and in keeping with our own style. We played about with brooch backs and pins before deciding on a pin which becomes part of the brooch's design and form and not one that is just hidden at the back and simply made for function only. We used a mix of traditional goldsmithing techniques to create the brooches. Some elements such as the outer gold tear were hand carved from wax and then cast in yellow gold through a technique called lost wax casting which dates back thousands of years as to one of the first methods of creating gold jewellery. Other elements such as the stone settings and the silver tears were all hand fabricated from raw metal materials. We melted it down, rolled it out, formed it and soldered it together in our studio. The patterns were hand engraved across the brooches in our own signature style and finally the stones were set with a mixture of claw setting styles and flush settings for the smaller stones. All of our work takes inspiration from Celtic jewellery and the Irish landscape so when we heard the title of the exhibition was to be called Pinned we immediately thought of the Tower brooch. We wanted to create a piece which looked like it belonged in a museum of Celtic jewellery but was also contemporary so it could be worn today. And an exciting part of the exhibition was the opportunity to display the brooches on clothing. We used a wonderful brightly coloured McNutt scarf to display them on. It seemed appropriate to use a piece of clothing that was both Irish made and of fine quality, again reminiscent of the tower brooch. As with many of the early pieces of metalwork, we wanted them to be ornate to really celebrate both the history of the brooch and to fully embody the theme of the exhibition pinned. The pin is pulled out of the brooch completely. The brooch is placed onto the garment and the pin slides back through the brooch and garment and sits perfectly back into its stepped gap. My name is Sailing Trainer and I'm a jewellery designer maker based in Belfast. The collective title of my four brooches for the pinned exhibition is Form Going, Going, Going. A minimal tile design on a now closed shop front in the street where I was born and raised invokes strong memories. I peeled some of the graphic black and white tiles off Wiley's electrical shop, Canal Street, Newry, after I discovered it was to be demolished. I feel the need to preserve this piece of slowly disappearing history off and for Newry and it is a way to honour my memories. There are four separate brooches, each a different piece of jewellery in their own right, but together they fit in the way the tiles were originally strategically placed on the shop front wall. Form, the top left brooch, is the complete section with the three various sized and similar shaped black and white tiles 
that fit together like a puzzle in an overall square shape. The top right brooch is going one. The tiles are gone, leaving three gaping holes. Going two, the bottom right brooch is next in the purposely positioned formation. The three gaping holes are there and the tile grout is exposed. The final bottom left brooch, going three, has the gaping holes and an impression of where the grout was, the bare bones of the original. Silver was used throughout the process to depict the wall. The three differing tiles are used in the first brooch and it and the second brooch are hollow forms. Tile grout is used in the third. Designing and making jewellery is my way of making sense of what surrounds us, be it physically or emotionally. The brooches I made for Pinned are an expression of a desire to preserve a time in the history of my hometown Newry and my own life, and a visual of time going by. I'm saddened and angered at the demise of town centres and particularly old buildings, and I am sentimental from a personal point of view too. I must have walked past those tiles thousands of times, and they take me back to my childhood and my youth, a time before I knew what I was going to do in life. I'm not sure whether it was already in me to be attracted to minimal design, shapes and form, or those tiles actually influenced my design philosophy. Anyway, it pleases me that it's all come full circle. The making process involved working with tiles, which was refreshing as it turned the meaning of precious around. They are precious, to me anyway. As a jeweller, my favourite approach is to make necklaces, bracelets and earrings, but occasionally my designs lend themselves to a ring or a brooch. This was one of those times the medium of a brooch best allowed for the positioning that visually explained the overall story of my project. Plus, I love solving the problem of attaching to clothing, and I love brooches. Hardened silver is used for the continuous pin at the back, constructed in a way that each brooch sits evenly proud on a flat surface. Just the top part is the connection to the material. Although all four brooches are displayed and fit together visually, they can be acquired separately. In fact, breaking them up feeds well into the narrative of the title, Form Going, 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 namely that it has disappeared. My name is Claire Mooney and I'm a silversmith and jeweller working for my home studio in Annalong near the Morn Mountains. My submission to the pinned exhibition is entitled Millennium Fragment Series. The silver fragments within the series mirror pathways in the Castle Elm Peace Maze, which I explored as a child following its opening at the turn of the millennium. These organically cast fragments speak to the timelessness of the Castle Elm Forest, while the pathways evoke uncertainty, getting lost, and a sense of a journey ahead. These pins are little nuggets of oxidised silver, which have a matte finish with a rough, sandy or rocky surface. Each piece has areas of high and low relief, which resemble pathways of the maze that they are inspired by. In the low areas, a little more oxide is held, which darkens the surface, while the high points are a little more exposed and silvery in the light. My little pins have been cast into delft clay, which is very similar to sand casting. They are cast from recycled offcuts of silver and pieces of jewellery that didn't quite go to plan. For the series, I made a relief stamp from oven dry clay and based lines, patterns and forms directly from an aerial view of the Castle Elm Peace Maze. 
I then used this stamp to transfer a pattern into the surface of a leveled portion of Delft clay. Finally, I then cast silver onto the surface to pick up some of those details and pathways, but in a more fragmented and more organic way than if you were traditionally casting small pieces for regularity. I continued with this process and had some fun with it, stamping and preparing the clay until I had a variety of fragments, some of which were a lot more successful than others, and I used the more successful as the focus for my pins. In honesty, the pieces I have within the exhibition are very different to what I had originally planned. I was really excited about a super complicated idea I had for pinned, which involved spinning and chasing, but of course, Life happened, I wasn't in top form for a few weeks, and the ambitious project got sidelined. But just for now, I hope to get back to it soon. My second idea came out of the frustration of things where I attempted to look at chronic illness, but this too wasn't getting enough room to develop, and wasn't fairing out with my visual style, and I found it a million miles away from my own style of working and comfort zone which I wanted to share with the world, so I went back to the drawing board. My final idea wasn't new or groundbreaking at all, but came from the heart and was something I've wanted to turn into jewellery for a long time, to make a little memory or totem of something which meant a lot to me. Over lockdown, I thought a lot about being outside and was very lucky to live where I do. I kept thinking and reflecting on the time I spent in Castlewell and growing up. The Castlewell and Peace Maze was planted in 2000 and opened in 2001. It was put in place to commemorate the peace and reconciliation efforts of Northern Ireland. Although the reasons the maze existed were beyond me at the time, I distinctly remember going around it. I must have been five or six years old, and I was with my older sister one Sunday morning shortly after it opened. The maze had all the celebration and fanfare about it, which was a big contrast to the old gardens and castle and forest. When my sister was leading me through the maze, a distant bell rang in the Castle Town Centre, and that meant we had to go and in a hurry. So five-year-old me, my sister and a family friend all made our way off the paths, straight through the newly planted trees and defying all the standard maze procedures and etiquettes. I remember feeling like we desperately cheated the system, whatever that meant to me as a five-year-old, as we ignored the real paths. Years later, and in recent years, the maze isn't new or shiny, and as the trees grew there, there's no more easy cheating. But at this point, we are familiar with some junctions and routes, and we certainly know which ones generally took us in the right or wrong direction. I suppose in a weird way, those fragmented memories of getting lost and areas in the maze and forest park still hold personal memories from my childhood, which are tied immensely to the sense of place, family, and my general identity as a result, I suppose. To me now, these pieces in Millennium Fragments Collection make me reflect on pathways and I am keen for them to be interpreted as relics of journeys that have happened or might happen in future, but all of which have an uncertainty to them, just as they had when I was casting them in a playful and unpredictable way, despite using the same series of paths mapped out on my stamp. While the title of the exhibition was pinned, my pieces here look at it in two ways, both physically as they can be pinned to a garment and as a description of a feeling, as an uncomfortable feeling of being pinned in a corner or uncertainty. Uncertainty can resonate with the idea of getting lost in a maze or when undecided or conflicted about which path to take. I know for me in ways, the title pinned during the pandemic 
It was hard not to think of us being pinned in our own homes and feeling conflicted about what path to take or what we should do for the best. Historically as well, pins can be used to show personal taste, political or religious leanings. There was an exhibition called The Speeches, Strikes and Struggles. It was held in the Nerve Centre Derry and I had the chance to visit when I was studying the MA in Cultural Heritage and Museum Studies in 2018. It featured the collections of Peter Maloney and he had been collecting objects about the troubles and generally things that interested him all his life. One section of the exhibition had a series of pins and badges which were collected over the previous few decades during the troubles and they were all arranged together which in ways took the shock and fear out of them as they were contradictory views side by side on display to be looked at by an audience not being actively worn to share a view. The pins I have made here don't have any political intentions at all. Far from it. But the maze was built to commemorate reconciliation and these pins were essentially made to celebrate and commemorate the journeys through the Castlewell and Peace Maze. I'd like to think if anyone was to take something from them, it would be a sense of calm and appreciation or reflection on journeys and memories. When I first heard about the pinned exhibition, It seemed like an opportunity where you could make something that was about your personality and your style. Since lockdown, we haven't been able to wear our own brooches, but I think in the end, I end up making these little pins, which are a little bit rough around the edges, um, visually look a little bit more like my work, and they have a loose and organic feel to them, and are subtle compared to the other ideas I had been thinking about, which I suppose reflects me as a human a little bit better. I'm not the type to make something sparkly and flawless, especially not right now. These pins have a super simple pre-bought pin attachment on the back. They can be pinned onto practically any garment or piece of cloth or object, and the pin back holds it in place. The pins and backs are similar to those you would get on a merch pin for a band or a little graphic enamel pin. I have a good few of those pins myself and one of the Millennium Fragment pins would possibly sit alongside them better than intended, if I'm honest. By complete contrast, I really love the traditional Pinanula cloak pin. The way it's worn leans a lot on the fabric, and then the fabric essentially holds the pin in position, and the pin holds the fabric in place. So it's like a weird, pleasant relationship between the two. They have an interesting history too, and I really hope to explore them further in future, along with developing ideas that didn't quite make it this time. My name is Clodagh Malloy. I am a jewellery artist and maker based in Dublin. The title of my brooches are Children's Building Blocks 1, 2 and 3. They are made from children's coloured building blocks, wood glue and stainless steel wire. The brooches are made from children's coloured wooden building blocks. The blocks have been sawed into pieces, sanded and reconfigured to form both the front of the brooch and the pin mechanism on the back. Each brooch has a different pin solution. The front of the brooch is the unpainted raw wood with little hints to its original colour. These are what would have been originally the interior of the building blocks. They are arranged like a jigsaw of shapes, sanded and ordered. The underside shows the original exterior of the building blocks with the bright primary colours in an unordered jumble, reminiscent of how a toddler stacks blocks. My practice is focused on exploring, challenging and investigating attitudes to mental ill health through the language of jewellery. 
Previous works happened about capturing the fragile nature of Ireland's decaying and unstable asylums and institutional buildings. I made comparisons to the crumbling minds of their former patients and the ruined images of the buildings in my brooches. In these children's wooden building block brooches, this message is conveyed through the steel wires and staples in the brooches, bringing structural stability and function, much like what steel girders bring to unstable buildings. However, the brooches to me also talk about my duality of being a parent, juggling work, college deadlines, homeschooling and looking after my family and home, much like many parents working and trying to keep it all together during our first lockdown. Juggling work and homeschooling from the kitchen table or any available corner of the home. The subdued front forward faces of the brooches hiding the colourful untamed underside. I envision the many, many Zoom calls made from a makeshift desk of piled up books and magazines propping up the laptop or phone. The speaker from the waist up is a neat, well-ordered professional with a beautiful blouse or a perfectly ironed shirt. But what is not seen are the pyjama bottoms or the toys strewn floor, the unwashed dishes and the piles of washing waiting for their time. Children running amok or sneaking a few minutes on their phone or computer game while the parent is distracted. I overheard a fitting comment about working from home that I will share with you now. They said, this is not working from home, it's parenting from work. The instigation and inspiration for these brooches was Daniela Malev. I had the opportunity to attend one of her brooch back workshops. Daniela also has a brilliant and essential book called To The Pin to accompany the workshop on brooch pins. To Daniela, the brooch back is as important to the finished work as the front. The pin must be designed to be incorporated within the brooch concept, not just an afterthought to the manufacturing of the piece. The brooches are lightweight and so we can wear them on a t-shirt or a blouse as well as on a coat. All the brooches are double pins and can be fastened by passing the two pins simultaneously through the garment and placing the pins into its corresponding closing hook when they have emerged from the fabric. What a brilliant episode. Thank you so much to Anne Earls Boylan, Abby Dixon, Cameron and Breen, Celine Trainer, Claire Mooney and Clodagh Malloy. Thank you so much for your participation for this first episode in this special collaboration project with ACJSNI, which has been supported with funding from the Arts Council of Northern Ireland.